again, not to give us the big head, but to expose us to the narratives and the storylines of Scripture and help us to better understand what's going on. I would that by the end of every book that we go through here at Shed Road, I hope that if you were to pull back out Exodus a couple of years ago when we were going through Exodus, I would hope that you would be able to tell me the overall storyline of what's going on in the book of Exodus. I see some of you searching in your heads, and I love to see the wheels start turning in your heads as we begin to recall. But this morning, we're still in Genesis, and we're in chapter 4 this morning. Chapter 4, verse 1, I'll not ask you to stand due to the length of the reading, but I do trust that you regard and reverence the word of the Lord, even as it is being read this morning. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, And Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth and his countenance fallen. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother. And it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother, and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from thy face shall I be hid, and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth. And it shall come to pass that everyone that findeth me shall slay me. And the Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch, and he built a city. And he called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. And unto Enoch was born Irad, and Irad begat Mahuel, and Mahuel begat Methusiel, and Methusiel begat Lamech. And Lamech took unto him two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other Zillah. And Ada bare Jabel, he was the father of such as dwell in the tents, and of such as have cattle. And his brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all such as handled the harp and organ. And Zillah, she also bare Tubalcane, an instructor of every artificer in brass and iron. And the sister of Tubalcane was Naamah. And Lamech said unto his wives, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, ye wives of Lamech, hearken unto my speech, for I have slain a man to my wounding, and a young man to my hurt. If Cain shall be offended sevenfold, truly Lamech seventy and sevenfold. Verse 25, 
And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son, and called his name Seth. For God, said she, hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. And Seth, and to Seth, to him also, there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this wonderful passage in your word of God. Father, may you help us to understand what you are trying to have us to understand, God, that it's never going to mean what it was never intended to mean, O oh God. Father, we pray that we would walk in that truly, O oh God. Father, that you would just open our eyes, open our minds to it, that it would be grafted in through the means of the Spirit, that we would receive this as the truth that it is, O oh God. Father, that you would change us and transform us with it, that, God, we would live lives, as James said, that don't only hear the Word of God, but that we would be doers of the Word of God. Father, I pray that you feed your lambs and feed your sheep as only you can. We pray to honor and reverence you in all things, giving you all the honor and glory hereafter, God. We pray all of these things things and pray that you'd save somebody that's never been born again so much more we pray that we'd be a blessing in this community father so many things we bring to you and pray in thy son jesus christ most holy and wonderful name amen and amen in case y'all haven't picked up on it by now this is somebody i remember a mentor of mine a dear dear friend of mine he looked at me one time and he said genesis he said is it history or is it poetry and i'm like well i guess it's just history and i was firmly rooted in that that it was just history and it was nothing more and then as I began to study into it, we find out that it's, it's historical poetry. And we're like, what do we do with historical poetry? It's true, but it's poetry and it rhymes. And there's supposed to be ways that we see it. Again, I've told the story that when I got to college, I remember there was a book that we had to buy that was called The Ways of Writing. And I remember looking at that book about two times. And I thought it might have been helpful had I stayed in that book more. Did well, it was English class. That was easy in college. But even still, it might have done better had I paid attention. And that's what we do in the Word of God is sometimes we get so used to hearing these things. We get so used to hearing all the stories and hearing all the, all the different questions that come and emerge. And surely this is one of the most familiar accounts. So mine and your challenge is to understand what is God saying to us from this passage. Not just what God is saying to you individually, though that's important. That's not unimportant. But we need to understand first, what is God saying in this passage? There is a message for the people of God. There was first a message for the people of God that were dwelling in the wilderness. We're remembering all of these things as we march forward. And again, as I've been indicating, this is poetry. It's got, it's got an organization to it. And we keep talking about that word, how it's, it's a poem that's set with bookends. It's got bookends. And often what we need to recognize is in the center of it, how chapter one in large part was that same kind of poem. We call it a chiasm and how chapter one was that way. Chapter two unfolded that way. Last week in chapter three, it unfolded that way. And believe it or not, in chapter four, guess what just happens to unfold? We have five different movements as we had last week. We had five movements in the text as we do this week we can we can articulate at least five key movements in this text as far as what happens now we could argue and split hairs over it but there's at least five of them and if you want to talk to me afterward we'll get some more out we'll outline some more i'd love to do that with you i'm a bible nerd that's what we do we're trying to understand the way that god has organized this so the first movement that we see in genesis chapter 4 is this with adam and eve it says in verse 1 and 2 is your first movement verse 1 and 2 and it says and adam knew eve his wife and she conceived and bare cain and said i have gotten a man from the lord she said i have gotten a man from the Lord. She's rejoicing. She's hearkening back to chapter 3 to where God has told her that she is going to have a seed. She is going to have an offspring that is going to crush the head of the serpent. Yes, the, the serpents are, are <clears throat> the seeds 
heel will be crushed, but ultimately that one will be the one that crushes the hand. When we see Cain born into the picture here, if we're following this story for the very first time, there's some excitement. Now you and I, we know the rest of the story. We know the things that happen. We're familiar with the Sunday school and the Bible stories, but some folks aren't. Some folks that are in this world don't know the story. They may know about Adam and Eve, but you may even get to Cain and Abel and they don't know these stories. So it behooves us. It's good for us to know what happens and that Cain seems to be the promised offspring. Cain seems to be the hope that is set forth for us in chapter 3 after they're kicked out of the garden. They needed some hope and surely Cain is the one that's going to be this hope. Or is it Abel that's going to be this hope? Because it says, and she again bare his brother Abel and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Can we take notice of something in verse 2? All of the time we notice these different things, and I've heard so many preachers articulate it, and I just I have to kind of look at the preachers and say, oh really? It's because so many times they will uplift Cain because he was a keeper of sheep. And we do, we see the history of shepherds throughout the Old Testament especially and the goodness of the keeper of the sheep and all of these different things. There are nuances that we need to pick up on there. And the, but we see that Cain, he was just a farmer, wasn't he? I submit to you that if you ever say somebody is just a farmer, that's just the biggest insult you can possibly find. And a farmer is one of the most necessary things in all of this world. It's a part of the godly order. Cain was existing in the way that Cain should be existing. Somebody had to take care of the livestock. Somebody had to take care of the ground. Beloved, if we go to the grocery store, we need somebody that's taking care of the ground and we need somebody that's taking care of the livestock. Can I submit to you that the, the vision that we see of Cain and Abel, sometimes there's a tendency, there, there's a, what I would probably think to be a bad tendency to say, well, clearly Abel was better than what Cain was. But that's not the situation that's presented to us at all here. It's eerie to me to see the similarities between this and chapter 2. It's eerie to look at these representations and see that in large way, just as man and woman were created as equals, how Eve was brought out from the side of man, not from above man, but from the side of man. That's how Eve was created, as to walk equal with the man. Now we know that after in chapter 3, we know there's an order in the household, but even still, that does not make the woman in any way lesser than what the man was. In Cain and Abel's relationship, just because one was the older and one was the younger, you can ask me and Tyler, there's no difference. Tyler might sometimes want to think he's the big dog because he's the older brother. I might want to sometimes think I'm the big dog because I'm the younger brother. We may kid each other about it. You may do the same with some of your siblings. You may have some of these things. But ultimately, when people ask me, and I do have people in my life that always want to ask, who's the favorite between me and Tyler? And I'm like, I don't know. You're going to have to ask which parent which. And I guarantee you, if we're going to be honest about it, it's probably from day to day. There might be one day that Tyler was the favorite. There might be one day that Zach was the favorite. I don't know when those days were. There might be one of those days that they were just wishing they'd had another offspring so that they could have been the favorite. All of these different things because we're brothers and we do what brothers do. But even still, we walk in this world and we know that there's an equality among us. And what this text is presenting to us is there's a division of labor. There may be that Tyler is skilled in a certain area that Zach is not skilled in. Instead of me being instead of me being braggadocious and trying to be good in everything because I have a bad tendency about that, is the truth that Tyler's just better equipped. When it comes to matter of law, I've studied a little bit, but I'm not a lawyer. I'm going to trust my brother who's the lawyer. When it comes to a matter like that, I'm going to go to him and entrust him in these things. I don't know if there's an area that Tyler might trust me more in than what I do in him, but... Surely there's probably something that I'm better equipped for. It doesn't make Tyler better than me. It doesn't make me better than him. It makes us to walk as equals in this world. Beloved, what we often do is try to find rivalries between one another. 
In every sense, it seems to be that in our communities, we're trying to find rivalry. In the community of the marriage, we're trying to find rivalry. In the community of siblings, we're trying to find rivalry. But the way that God has ordained this is so that it is not rivalry. I've seen these rivalries divide churches. I've seen these rivalries divide families. I've seen these. We were talking this morning. Heard somebody referencing some family that I know. And somebody talking about this family doesn't agree with that family. And I'm like, boy, oh, do I know that? Because I know the other side of the family. And I can tell you from their perspective. And it's just crazy to me how well known these stories are of division when it should be in unity. There's something about our communities that we should be united. When it comes to Bremen Bowden, that's one of the biggest rivalries. And sometimes I do my best to forget that we've got a Bowden Red Devil in the building because I'm a Bremen Blue Devil by birth. That's what I am. That's where I graduated from. And there's this big rivalry between those two schools. And there's a Red Devil that, that gathers with us weekly. And I'm like, I don't know how to feel about that. I jokingly say that because I'd be frank with you. I just don't care about who's who. I don't care in that regard. But sometimes those rivalries get to be a really big deal. Sometimes people in this building can tell you stories of the rivalries. I was, we were recounting some of the stories of people that were just disagreeing. There's something about us that's feisty and a bunch of fighters. And for most of us in the area, a lot of our family members, some of you have a lot of Scots-Irish in you. Do y'all know that Scots-Irish people just have a tendency of being fighters amongst themselves? They just have a tendency of fighting among themselves. For those of you that have Native American blood in you, do you know what the tribes always seem to be doing at one point or another? The tribes seem to be having war. They had peace sometimes, but they had war a lot of times. It seems to be that if you go through all of our history, there's a history of division. And yet here I'm reading in the first two chapters of Genesis in chapter 4, there's supposed to be unity in the marriage, but we know there's broken aspects of it. There's supposed to be unity in the family between siblings, and yet this is so broken. Beloved, the image that's being presented to us is the image of otherworldliness. This is being the picture of something that God in His goodness has designed it and created it in this way, but you and I know that it doesn't function that way. We've already discussed so many examples this morning and knowing that it's not good, that it is not good between siblings in that way so many times. I'm fortunate. Tyler and I were brothers who were brothers, but we have a wonderful working relationship with each other now. Mother probably thought there was going to be days that it never would happen. She probably thought we were always going to be fighting and feuding with one another. I'll tell you stories about that afterward. Ask me about a broken table one time. I'd love to tell that story. But all of these stories, I've learned to love Tyler through all of it. And I don't have a problem with him. I don't have a problem with him from my youth. I've learned unity because the difference between Tyler and I now is we both seek to walk in Christ. Both imperfectly. Neither one of us do it perfectly. But in walking in our relationship with Christ, and there was something that happened several years back, that Tyler and I just both seemed at the same time to seek to try to be close to God in that particular season. And that's when our relationship got even better. I have a wonderful, wonderful brother and a wonderful, wonderful friend. But most of all, he's my brother in Christ. I love that relationship with everybody. The primary relationship in our lives is to be that we as a church, we're to be siblings in Christ. We're supposed to realize that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. I grew up with a, a sacred text, as I often call them, that even expressed that the members present shall express their love to one another by calling one another brother and sister. That was one of my favorite rules that we actually had because we're supposed to understand. In as much as we may have familial connections with one another, the primary relationship that we have is with each other because of God. The primary relationship that Cain and Abel were supposed to have is because of their relationship with God. So what happens with their relationship with God that begins to change things? The second movement in our text begins to occur in verses 3 and 5. The second movement in verses 3 and five, three through 5 says, And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. 
And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel unto his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth and his countenance fell. Look at the difference in these two. Again, I have been presenting and belaboring the point that these two were created as equals. So many times we want to jump to, well, Abel had the blood sacrifice. Okay. So far, we don't know that that's what it's supposed to be. So far, we don't know that it's supposed to be a blood sacrifice. Now, we know through the rest of the, the Bible, we know that a blood sacrifice is required. We know all of these different things. But that's about to come up in the text. That's not come up in the text just yet. But it's about to come up in the text. So right now we see two offerings. What's the difference between the two offerings? Is it that one was a keeper of sheep and one was a tiller of the ground? Does that automatically mean that Abel's offering was going to be accepted and Cain's was not going to be accepted? No. They're just bringing an offering. If you'll notice, it does not say a sacrifice. If you'll notice, there was no sacrifice made here. There was instead an offering made unto God. This is not something that was required of these two. This was something that was gladly given by these two. An offering should be something that you give willingly and intentionally. Again, I'm going to bring up that issue of tithing. Go ahead and bring up that issue of tithing up here. Do you know that our church covenant says and each member shall bear a portionable, uh, a portionable, a reasonable expense or whatever that it says in the church covenant language? You, do you know it doesn't tell you exactly what percentage you're supposed to tithe? It's not going to tell you this. It's not going to tell you all of that. Can I tell you, I'm not going to start getting on to you about if you're not bringing enough money, if you're not bringing enough that, I can. I quite frankly don't care. I, somebody taught me a long time ago, he said, his will, his bill. If God wants us to do something, God's going to supply the means for it. I don't worry about that. There's a lot of things in life I worry about. One thing I don't worry about, his will, his bill. We need to monitor these situations, but beloved, sometimes you just need to give an offering. Some people just worry about tithing. I'm like, fine, whatever, that's between you and God. Whatever you tithe, but what are you offering unto God? What are the conditions of your offering? Because that's where we see the difference between Cain and Abel. Cain just says that it brought of his, it brought of the fruit of the ground. He brought what he had of his harvest. That's what he brought. But notice in what it says with Abel, it says, And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. There's something different about the offering of Cain because he brought the firstlings of it. It doesn't say that about Cain. That's the difference that the author seems to be bringing our minds to. Yes, Cain brought forth an offering, but Abel was the one who brought the firstlings of it. Abel was excited to bring this offering to God. Abel knew that he had to give the best to God that he had. Beloved, there should be something in us that just doesn't have to be told. You don't have to be beaten into your heads. It doesn't have to be a move. It doesn't have to be a rule anywhere in your church that you have to tithe X amount of percent. No, it should be that you want to be a joyful giver of all things. I don't mean just money. I mean in your service. I mean in your life. I mean in your workplace. I mean everything about your life should be an offering. God has planted you in some capacity in whatever that is, whatever kind of job you have, whatever kind of situation that you have, even people in retirement have a responsibility and a duty to give of the firstlings that they have and of the fat thereof. Not only did he give of the firstlings of his flock, but it says, and of the fat thereof. Abel brought the absolute best that he had. I've been wondering, Miss Terry and I, we buy these chicken breasts from Walmart. And these things are massive. And I don't know where they've gotten chicken breasts that are so massive, but these things are massive, y'all. I have to, we can literally divide them in half and then we cut them in half and then we make chicken breasts out of them and count them as one. And finally, I don't know what behooved me, I finally read the packaging. I thought they were just chicken breasts. They're not. They're chicken breasts with rib meat. 
Didn't know what all of that meant. But can I tell you how this chicken's actually really good? Some of y'all looking at me weird on this. This chicken's actually really good. It counts as both of it. What I thought was just chicken breast, they've included a little bit more. I mean, sure, we pay for it. They've included a little bit more. It was already good enough that we just got the chicken breast, but they've included a little bit more. They've sweetened it a little bit more. Beloved, there should be something about the connection between us and God, the relationship between us and God, that we want to give of the best that we've got, and we want to go above and beyond. I don't care if you're meeting certain percentages on your giving. That's between you and God. What I ask of you is to look at the situation with the difference of Cain and Abel. And I beg of you to see the difference because there was respect unto Abel's sacrifice or unto Abel's offering, but there was not respect unto the offering of Cain. I'm asking you to look and see that if you want to be happy in the Lord, that's what it means. I don't know what that means in your particular life, but I know that there's an intention from these verses that we should be seeing. We should be giving God the very best that we have, the very best hours of our life, the very best days of our lives, the very best of everything that we have ought to be going unto God in some capacity. And beloved, I'm not just asking you to do more. I'm asking you to look back into chapter 1 and see that there's also the principle of rest. Are some of you doing too much? Are some of you living a life that's too busy? Is there no margin in your life where you actually need to pull back and say, I need to rest and depend on God for a little while? Is there something in your life that you need to give even those periods of rest unto God? Is your life modeling and looking like what it should look like according to God? Was your life in shambles? Because you don't like the fact that God is using the offering of Abel, but your offering is as the offering of Cain. You're taking what you need and then giving the leftovers unto God. But unto Cain and to his offering, he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth. This countenance was falling. Cain had a fiery passion. When it says he was wroth, it means he was absolutely fiery, passionate, mad at God. There was no way, other way to understand it that Cain is absolutely distraught about God. He's mad at God. He doesn't understand God to be the one that's in charge. I've told y'all what I heard that evangelist say that this is God's the boss and this is his book. The problem with that is Cain was thinking that he was the boss. Cain was thinking that he was the one in charge and his countenance was falling. Sometimes, if you're like me, my face says what I'm thinking before I can say it out loud. You can read my facial expressions and know where I am. My face says exactly what's going on with me. And the same was true of Cain. I hate to tell you, I'm more like Cain than I'd like to admit sometimes. His countenance was falling. Everything about this was as bad as it could get. Can I tell you that I don't see in those verses right there to where God had broken his relationship with Cain at any level? There seems to be no difference of where God came after Cain. God has not approached Cain in any way, saying, Cain, you've done something wrong. All that is happening is God is going to ask him some questions here. The separation of the relationship was between Cain and God, not between God and Cain. The separation of the, ba the basis of the separation was Cain got mad with God, not that God was mad with Cain. Yes, he had respect unto Abel's offering, but it did not say that it in any way separated himself from Cain based on that offering. This was just a gift of love. This wasn't something that I had to do and keep in favor with God. This was just a gift of love. Can I tell you that is a true pattern of your life? You don't have to spend your life asking all these questions. If I do a little bit more, will that please God? If I give a little bit more, will that please God? If I, if I give so many days, if I do so many activities, is that going to please God a little bit more? Can I tell you what that sounds like? That sounds like every other religion in the world. That so many other religions are on the basis of if I do enough good deeds, then I'll get into heaven. 
Beloved, that's not the way that it is with God. Now, God may have respect under these good deeds. God may have respect under your offerings, but that's not what the basis of your relationship with Him is. The basis of your relationship with Him is your relationship. Is are you actually walking with Him? Are you fellowshipping with Him? Or have you gone like Cain and because God might have favored one over another, have you gotten wroth with God? Has your countenance fallen? And God, in the next movement of the text in verses 6 through 15, it says, And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? I love how he called him out on exactly. He just went item for item and he said, Cain, why are these two things wrong with you? He didn't address the offering. He didn't address, why didn't you bring to me the firstlings of the flock? Even though we see something in that. Why didn't you do this? He just addresses, he says, why are you angry? Why are you wroth? Why is your countenance fallen? God has not accused Cain in any way. It amazes to me how gracious that God has come to Cain with. He's just asking me, he's like, Cain, man, what's wrong with you? That's my, that's the, that's the Zach Smith translation. It's Cain, what's wrong with you, man? What's going on? God is actually checking in with Cain in a very gracious and compassionate manner. I have to ask you, is God out to get you in your life? Is God always out to punish you? Is if you say something wrong, lightning's going to strike you down? Now, beloved, I have said that myself and many a times, jokingly, I'm starting to get bothered by it when I ask that. Is God going to strike you down with lightning? Is God always out to be punitive? Is God always out to get you? No. God is not always out to get you. God instead is always inviting you into a relationship with Himself. God is giving Cain the time and the moment to think within himself and to say, come back to me. Why are you wroth? Why is your countenance falling? Has any wrong been done to you, Cain? He says in verse 7, If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Verse 7 is one of the most important verses of this passage that we can lock on to. If you do well, it's going to be okay. And if you don't do well, sin lieth at the door. The way that that language is spoken of when it says lieth at the door, it is saying it's crouching. It's like a lion that's crouching by the door. And actually there's the same word in Hebrew that's used elsewhere in the Bible to say that a lion is crouching at the door. And that's the imagery that we should have is that something's crouching at the door. Our cat is a mean and vicious creature. It's crouching at the door all the time. The thing about that cat is it's harmless. I'm not worried about it. It might scratch you up, but that's the worst that cat's going to do. That cat's always crouching at the door. It's always standing right there, ready to get us. It's crouching at the door. But it can do us no harm. The problem with sin is that it's always crouching at the door, and it can do us harm. Look when it says, the language that it says here, it says, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. That beckoned us back to chapter 3, to where he's talking about the relationship between the man and the woman, that sometimes there's contention about who's in charge, who's the boss. Neither one of you are. God's the boss. It's a fundamental problem in the relationship. The fundamental problem with the relationship between us and sin is God's still the boss. The fundamental problem between Cain and his brother was God was still the boss. It wasn't up to Cain to be the favorite child. The actual problem that Cain was wrestling with was sin. And his problem was is that he was giving in to it. And we're about to see that. Obviously, you know the story. But what God is telling him to do is to exercise dominion over sin. Cain, will you exercise dominion over sin in your life or are you going to give in to the sin in your life? And look how Cain responds. He says in verse 8, And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. 
One plus one equals two, doesn't it? One plus one equals two. This means yes, this means no. One plus one equals two. We are in the second generation, and we've already got murder coming into the picture. Do you see the problem of our communities? The problem that we have in wrestling with life? The problem that we have in wrestling with the order of the way that God has given us in things is that we want to war against God's order? Even so much that Cain is willing to give in to sin and murder his brother? Abel didn't do anything to Cain. The entire basis of the relationship is between God and Cain, and Cain responds by killing his brother. The problem that we have with one another is not with us, it's ultimately between us and God. I've got some family members that I struggle with. I've got some family members that I don't want to be around that often. It's usually because one of us gets crossways with God. It's not because of God, but it's because one of us got crossways with God. So many people in my life, the more that I understand is that God's going to take care of the relationship. That if you've got a problem with me, if I can actually fully rest in the fact that that's between you and God and not ultimately between you and me. Now, there are things that we need to go. If your brother's got an alt against you, go to him and ask him for forgiveness. Ask him if you can clarify. There are things that we should clarify the relationship. But Cain doesn't have an alt against Abel. Cain has an alt against God. And he takes it out on Abel. Beloved, let us be careful in our relationships that there's not a problem between us and God and it rules how we conduct ourselves with the rest of the family. It conducts with the rest of our family, with the rest of our communities, with the rest of the people that we're around. How do we react? Are we in unity with God or are we at enmity with God? In verse 9, you see this continued. It said, And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I responsible for him? Am I the one that's in charge of him? God, he's yours. He's your favorite child. You're the favorite over there. He's your favorite. He's your problem, God, not mine. Am I my brother's keeper? What arrogance to talk to God in such a way that when God asks us something, when God lines us up and brings us to account for something, that he says, essentially, he's not my problem. In this world that we presently live in, everybody wants to live so individualized. Everybody just wants to seem to live an individual life. You can't. You need community. I don't want to pay taxes. I don't. I want that money coming into my pocket. But you know what? I sure do enjoy the fact that my wife is paid by Harold's County School System. I sure do love that fact. And if y'all didn't pay y'all's taxes and nobody else paid their taxes, all of a sudden that comes home to roost with me. And if I don't pay my taxes, again, I'm not trying to get into the Constitution, I'm not trying to get into politics here, but if I don't pay my taxes, all of a sudden my roads aren't going to be kept up. I'm going to be driving down dirt roads. I'm going to have to be repairing the truck. All of a sudden, as independent as I think I am, God humbles me down real quick like, and I remember, oh, wait, i got to depend on the rest of this community. I don't like so-and-so over there. I don't like such-and-such such office. Well, you may not like him, but you might ought to pray for him. You might ought to be caring for him, that we've been subject to pray for those that are in authority over us, that there's a care for those that are in authority over us. Beloved, there is a relationship in the community that we ought to be expressing care and, and compassion for the other members of our community, that when it comes to, if somebody gives us an account, am I my brother's keeper? Yeah, you are your brother's keeper. Yeah, you are the rest of this community's keeper. You're responsible for how the rest of this community is doing in whatever community you're from. You ought to care about it. I'm big on this. This is just my, my bailiwick, so to speak. I believe you ought to go vote. I don't care who you vote for. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. That's not my job. But I'll tell you, you ought to go vote because this is an expression of the care of our community. Now, if there's just some reason you don't vote, come talk to me afterward. I'd actually genuinely love to have that conversation because I don't understand it, and I'd like to. I think you ought to go vote. 
I think you ought to go participate in your community. I think when your community's having something, you ought to find some way to express that care for them. Beloved, we are our brother's keepers. If something's wrong with Tyler, it becomes my problem. If something's off kilter with him, it becomes my problem. I'm, trust me, if something's wrong with me, eventually it's probably going to be Tyler's problem one way or another. When there's a difference in that relationship, I need to go to God. Beloved, sometimes there's relationships in my life that I can do nothing about. Again, I was telling you about some family members. I got some family members who won't speak to me. I got some family members that when I'm around them, it's hard. When I'm around them, I see nothing, but they don't want to look at me. I don't want to look at them. It's hard. Am I my brother's keeper? You know, when I run up to them, run into them in town, as, as strained as that relationship is, I may hear echoes of this verse. Am I my brother's keeper? Now, I didn't slay him. I didn't kill him. I didn't do that to him. But still, the relationship between them and me has been affected in some capacity. I'm still supposed to care for them. I still have a responsibility into them. Whether I like them or not right now, I still have to love them. I still have to care for them. And beloved, my greatest gift is the fact that the relationship's ultimately with God. Because I got people that I believe and trust in that are also believers, that are family members, that I believe and trust in God, that I'll be with them in heaven is what I mean to say. And beloved, if I can spend eternity with them, I can figure out how to live here on earth with them. Now, I know that's going to be in a land of perfect unity. I know that's going to be a perfect day over there. But beloved, when it comes to the question, am I my brother's keeper? There needs to be an understanding that yes, we are our brother's keeper. Yes, we owe it to our communities. God would have us to live in unity with one another. I see that so many times in the political world. Seems to depend on what letter you associate with more, whether you associate with the letter D or with the letter R. Seems to be the basis of your relationship. I love those that can reach across the aisle and work with somebody they might disagree with and say, you know what, we can find common ground. That's what I want to do with these family members. There's some issues in life we're not going to agree about. I want to find what's common and work with you on what's common. I find in this past year, it's been amazing as I track through social media, I got friends that have businesses. And I find just as I seek God more, do you know what I find? I want their businesses to succeed. I don't know what it is. There's been a direct correlation. The closer with God that I get, the more I care about this community. That should be within each and every one of our desires, within each and every one of our hearts. The more that we seek God, the more that we actually care for our community. What we see in Cain is he separated himself from God. And when he separates himself from God, all of a sudden he doesn't care about the community. I hope I'll never hear anybody in this building say I hate people. If you're one that says I hate people, we got some work to do. If you can say you hate people, something's wrong in your heart. You can say you hate the community. Something's wrong in your heart. And it's something between you and God. Beloved, they should know us by our love for one another. Christians ought to be the most loving people. You know what's most known about Christians? is how hateful we are. Now sometimes, I'll submit to you. Sometimes I'm pretty sure the Pharisees and the Sadducees, after they had had a meeting with Jesus, got upset and went home mad. I imagine when they got home that evening, their feelings were hurt. I imagine that even Jesus caused some hurt feelings, if we'll be frank about it. Sometimes there's something we have to stand for and it's going to hurt somebody. That's not wrong if we're right with God. But sometimes we're mean for the sake of being mean because we've grown distant from God. I didn't say all this to you. I sure do love knowing about Cain. Because as much as it says, it says, 
in verse 10, and it says, And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. That's why I told you all a few weeks ago, Cain's whiny. Because do you know what I read in that? Do y'all not read the same thing that he said unto Adam? Do y'all not read it sounds almost exactly the same as that you're going to have to work by the sweat of the brow, you're going to have to do all of these things? That the punishment from sin in generation one is not that worse from the punishment of sin in generation two. Beloved, sometimes we think we've got it worse than the generation before us had, when frankly we've probably got it a little bit better than what the generation before us had. We've probably got it a little bit easier. Do you know how easy it is to commit to church? Do you know how easy it is to look things up on the internet? How fast we can have an answer? All of these things coming in, it seems to be easier. Now there's new challenges, sure. There's new challenges before us. But beloved, sometimes we think that because we're in the present generation, we've got it harder than the generations before us did. And it just ain't so. Beloved, we need to be mindful that God is working in every generation. Cain's punishment really wasn't, wasn't easy. Don't get me wrong. That's a hard life to live. It's no worse than what God had already done to Adam. Do you know what I don't find about Adam and Eve? I don't find where they departed from God after, they, after God separated them out of the Garden of Eden. I don't find where they disobeyed God anymore. It seems to be that after God dealt with the sin of Adam and Eve, it seems to be that they kind of obeyed Him. Seems to be they kind of lived a life that didn't seem to upset God too much. When they separated them, though they made excuses, after God had exercised the punishment against them, they didn't complain about the punishment. That's the difference with Cain is, he complains about the punishment even more. He said, it's greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from thy face shall I be hid. And I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth, and it shall come to pass that everyone that findeth me shall slay me. He knows that he's related to everybody in the world. He knows that he's related to everybody in the world that's related to Adam. He knows that anybody that confronts him is probably going to be mad. He's got problems with his family, y'all. It says in verse 15, And the Lord, and the Lord, this begins our next movement. It says, And the Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. God intentionally separates him from the rest of the world. God says, if you're going to complain about this, I'll make sure nobody will kill you. It says in verse 16, it says, And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. Anytime that you find the east of Eden in the Word of God, it's signifying that they've grown distant from God. That's something that we see repeated throughout Scripture, is that when they're east of Eden, that's not the place to be. In verse 17, And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch and built a city and called the called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. And Enoch was born I was born Irad, and Irad begat Mahuel, and Mahuel begat Methusiel, and Methusiel begat Lamech. And Lamech said unto the, him, and took unto him two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other Zillah. And Ada bare Jabel, and he was the father of such as dwell in tents, and of such as have cattle. Okay, he's acting like his ancestors. And his brother's name was Jubal, and he was the father of all such as handled the harp and organ. Y'all, we've got music even in the first several generations of it. And it's through the lineage of Cain. We've got cattlemen, and it's through the lineage of Cain. I'm not understanding. I didn't think that the harp and the organ were bad things. I didn't think that cattle was a bad thing. 
It says in verse 22, And Zillah, she also bare Tubal-Cain, an instructor of every artificer in brass and iron. And the sister of Tubal-Cain was Nahum. Beloved, we've got every artificer of brass and iron over here. We've already jumped into the Bronze Age. We've already jumped to where they're taking the different metals of the earth and they're working in the metals and they're setting these things. All of the industries of man are coming through the lineage of Cain. Do you know what Cain is doing even though Cain is separated from God? Cain's offspring? They're fulfilling God's purpose. They're bringing order and dominion to this earth. But there's a problem. It says in verse 23, And Lamech said unto his wives, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, ye wives of Lamech. Hearken unto my speech. For I have slain a man to my wounding and a young man to my hurt. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech seventy and sevenfold. How bold of you to assume that you're that worse than Cain. How arrogant of you. That the titans of industry over here, that's just what the offspring of Cain is. While they're doing the things of God, while they're exercising the commandment of God to have dominion over the earth, they're doing it separated from God. How sad it is that you and I can do great works in this life, but do them separated from God. How terrible it is that you may live a wonderful life. I think about people like Gandhi. That if anybody lived a good life... Now, Gandhi lived a pretty good life. I mean, if somebody didn't hurt other people, if somebody lived a life that seemed to be so well, it would be somebody in that nature. But if he never knew Jesus Christ, if he walked away, if he walked opposite of the way of God, if he walked in this relationship, if he pursued these things separated from God, it did him no good. The basis of the relationships we have with our community are first and foremostly found in God. If we're to relate to our community properly, we must relate to God properly. Is God going to bless the rest of the world? Absolutely. Look how much He blessed and seemingly abundantly the offspring of Cain. But there was problems. They were sinful people. They were ones who continued to sin against God. In verse 1 and 2 of this chapter, we were supposed to find hope. In verses 1 and 2, we were supposed to find that we had hope in Cain. We had hope in Abel. We had hope that, that God was going to exercise dominion over the earth. We had hope that this was the promise. This was going to be the one who crushed the head of the serpent. But by verse 24, all that we see through the lineage of Cain is failure. Abel's dead. All we have is the lineage of Cain. But look what happens in verse 25. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son, and called his name Seth. For God said she hath... For God said she hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel whom Cain slew. And Cain got written out of the wheel. Cain is no longer part of the lineage. He's appointed me another seed. Do you see that in, what is it, verse 1 or 2 there, that first section? She said, I have gotten me a man from the Lord. I have gotten. And instead, here the language has changed. And the Lord has appointed unto her another seed. We were supposed to find the fulfillment of the promise in verse 1. But things went awry. But praise God, as bad as everything was, we've gotten down here and she's been pointed another seed instead of Abel whom, whom Cain slew. And it said, And to Seth, to him also was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began man to call upon the name of the Lord. Beloved, if we see anything from chapter 4, is as much bad as there is in the world, guess what? 
He's still bringing us to the hope of His promise. He's still promising us that He is going to deliver on His promises. He's still reminding us God is going to deliver His people. If you're in the wilderness, you need this memory. You need this recalling. If things here on earth just get mundane and it seems to be a sad life sometimes and it seems to be a difficult life sometimes and everything seems to be a disappointment and when everything starts to go right, something else goes wrong. Beloved, the promise of Christ is still there for us. The promise and the hope that we have in Christ alone is still there for us. They were in the wilderness, but they could still hope and trust in God. For those of us who have been born again, we've been called to be a separated people. Not out of the world, but not of the world. Beloved, we're supposed to be living a life that somebody else looks at us and says they're different. We should be different because we're walking with God, not just because we want to be different. We should be different because we're walking with God. And all around the world, we see the bad. I wish we had sung Abide with me now. And all around me, I see the bad things of the world. In every situation in my life, I can see the brokenness of humanity. I can see the brokenness of community. And yet God is still bringing us with the reassurance that He's in charge of this. He's in control of this. Yes, He lets us make choice after choice after choice that leads us astray from Him. But even when we fumble the ball, even when we mess up, He's still with us. He's still guiding us. He's still protecting us. He's still inviting us that we may know Him. I wonder this morning when you're confronted with the sin of the world, when you're confronted with the sin in your life, do you respond with Christ and forgiveness and seeking Him? Or do you respond to God by fleeing His presence and doubling down and sinning evermore? What's your response this morning? Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful passage of your word. We pray that we would honor and reverence it all the days of our lives. God, we pray again that it would take effect within us. If somebody's never been born again, Father, I pray that they would come trusting in you, see your open arms and come running to you that they too may know the joy of their relationship with you. God, I confess that there's situations that myself and others in this congregation, Father, so many times, we don't understand how you're working anymore. But God, we rest in the truth that you are working. We falter and fail, O God. But Father, you welcome us to yourself again. We pray that we would run to you in every opportunity. We pray these things in thy Son, Jesus Christ, holy and wonderful name. Amen and amen.